Before we start, I just want to let everybody know that this podcast is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from your iOS device for free. And if and when I go live and you ask some questions, you may end up being featured on an episode of Locked on Tigers. Welcome into Locked On at Tigers. I'm your host, Chris Castellani. It is Friday, May 14th, 2021. And we're going to talk on this show today about the red hot, sizzling hot Detroit Tigers winners of four in a row. Got my energy back uh, from the COVID shot. Left arm still hurts, but we power through. We power on, and it's uh, it's a bit more I- enticing. You get a little bit more of a pep in your step when you get to talk about a team that's actually being successful as opposed to a team that isn't a complete and utter dumpster fire. Tigers won yesterday. Intriguing game. Some storylines here that we do have to discuss, especially near the end of the game, talking about the bullpen. I I think pretty soon some guys' roles may be changing. But who we're going to start off with is a guy that I've been a little bit tough on uh, this season so far. I don't really take back any of it because I believe that this is a year where he can take that next step. And uh, I want to see that. If he, if he pitches like he did yesterday, uh, then we're going to see him take that next step. And that's Spencer Turnbull. Turnbull yesterday was phenomenal. Six and a third innings, six hits, one run. That's an earned run, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Those last two numbers are the ones that matter to me the most. You know, he has not walked as many people this year uh, so far as he did a year ago, and yet he has not been striking out as many guys either. either. But he did yesterday. That is the best outing so far by him this season. I thought he looked really, really good. 16 swings and misses. That's what's important to me at this juncture. Not just getting swings and misses, but also throwing enough pitches to be able to go deep into the game. 99 pitches yesterday, 68 of them for strikes. And what it came down to early on is it just seemed like he was establishing the fastball and the rest of the game, the Royals weren't really able to catch up to it, quite frankly. I mean, all all game, it seemed like they were behind on that pitch. Then, like a true workhorse, it seemed like he got better as the game went along because you you, you spend the first several innings uh, establishing the fastball, and then you start to bring out the slider, and you start to bring out the curveball, and you start to bring out out the changeup. I thought that was a a really effective, good outing for Spencer Turnbull, his best of the season so far. Very happy with, uh, with how he looked yesterday, and, and it just speaks to, and I know I've gushed over this guy, but really, I, it speaks to the job that Chris Fetter is doing, because I, I think that what makes a good pitching coach, the intangibles behind what make a good pitching coach are kind of 
are lost on people sometimes. It's not having every single one of your starters go out and, and go seven scoreless every time. What makes a good pitching coach is adjustments. And you look at the way this team pitched against the Royals several weeks ago. And obviously the Royals were hot then. They are very much not hot now. They have lost, I believe, nine, or 10 or 11 in a row at this point. But I still like that lineup. There's still some really good hitters in that lineup. And, and I look at how they pitched Kansas City several weeks ago. They seemed kind of lost. Turnbull didn't pitch great. Mize didn't pitch great. Boyd did, but the the other starter, I believe it was Fulmer, kind of got lit up a little bit. Those were not great outings. And you see how they pitched in this series uh, this week. A totally night and day. I mean, you go from getting swept, I believe, a four-game sweep at home several weeks ago to a three-game sweep against the same team a few weeks later. It's very impressive, and it just seemed like they, they were more confident with their pitch selection and where they were going. Eric Haas was the catcher yesterday, thought he did a really good job, and look, this is wishful thinking, and I don't believe that this is going to happen, and I don't want to make judgments after two games, but the identity of this team is starting pitching. That's what Hinch has talked about. It's what I've brought up a million times on here as well. That's an interesting idea. I'm a fan of that. By far, the best element of this team is their starting pitching. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to go all in making sure that the best, most well-rounded bunch, uh, the most well-rounded group on your roster is your starting pitching, you got to do what you can to help those guys out at any cost. And to me, that means having the best defense behind them that you can possibly get. Now, you're going to need to score runs too, obviously. So you'll make certain sacrifices in regards to who you put out there on the infield or outfield if it means that they're going to get, you know, produce some runs for you. But especially behind home plate, Every pitcher so far has looked far more confident being caught by Jake Rogers and Eric Haas than they have by Wilson Ramos and Grayson Griner. Now, this is not me saying that when Ramos and Griner come off of the IL that they should send them down to Toledo. Ramos is he's not amazing, but he's good enough as a defensive catcher. He's far and away the best, or I'm sorry, offensive catcher. He's far and away their best offensive catcher by far. You do need to keep him on the roster, but I've always been under the belief that it's a, it's a good balance to have one. Now, look, if you have the best of both worlds, like if you have a Buster Posey or you have a JT Riamuto or a Pudge Rodriguez in his prime, then great. Obviously, keep them. But I've always been under the belief that most teams try to employ one pretty darn good offensive catcher and one pretty darn good defensive catcher. Like, prime example, I know there's some injuries there right now, but like the, the Atlanta Braves have a Travis Darnold, who last year for them uh, was phenomenal, had some big moments in the postseason. He's their their defense, or he's their offensive catcher. And then you have a journeyman, Je- Jeff Mathis, who's their backup uh, defensive catcher, who's one of the best pitch framers, one of the best game callers in the entire sport. Yeah, his OPS for his career over 16 seasons is in the 500s, but uh, they're able to, to work around that because he's only starting, you know, two out of every seven games in, during a week. I, I've spoken a little bit more highly of Grayson Griner this year than I have in previous seasons. Not That's not me saying that I believe he's a good major league player because he's not, but I, I've liked the way he's caught some of the young catchers. It does seem like Mize and Scuba are a little bit more confident uh, being caught by him than they are by some of the other guys, but he still does not grade out to be a good defensive catcher. He's an improvement over Wilson Ramos, but that's not really saying much. Wilson Ramos, uh, despite having a pretty good arm, is not good in regards to pitch framing. And it's something I've talked about from the beginning. If you're going to build this thing around starting pitching, okay, fine. But you got to do all you can to surround these starting pitchers uh, with the right talent. And that, that includes especially talent behind home plate. And when Griner comes back, I know the organization likes him, but they'll, they'll have a decision to make because 
I know Jake Rogers' ceiling has gotten increasingly lower and lower over the last several seasons, but he still grades out to be a good defensive catcher, and Mize and Scooball are very comfortable with him behind the plate. That's going to be an interesting proposition, I feel like. Now, look, if Rodgers doesn't hit, then he's not going to find a spot at the major league level, but they're not asking him to hit. They're asking him to hit a little bit better than Grayson Griner, which shouldn't be that hard, so we'll see. Eric Haas did a good job catching him yesterday. I know that's another guy the organization likes a, a fair amount. I think they like his versatility. Played a little bit of left field, actually, in spring training as well, and I think even some first base. So pitching yesterday, for the most part, was good. I'm going to talk about the bullpen and the offense when we get back in segment number two. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online your online sportsbook experts. Back for segment number two here, and the game got a little bit hairy, as it always does, uh, when the bullpen uh, came to do some work. Uh, Alex Lang pitched pretty darn well, pitched out of some trouble. Uh, Tyler Alexander was all right. Cisnero was quite good. And then we got to the ninth inning. Gregory Soto walked the leadoff guy, gave up two more hits, and was taken out after only recording one out. Now, I think that the Royals, I don't know who was in charge of this, made a serious mistake. A serious mistake. They were down 4-1 to one with runners on 2nd and 3rd and nobody out. And Carlos Santana was behind in the count 3-0. And he, they gave him the green light on a 3-0 pitch. He grounded out, grounded out to short. The run scored. I was stunned by that because Soto could not locate to save his life. If I'm Santana, I'm not only taking one strike, I'm taking two strikes at, at that point because this guy was not locating his heater. He didn't really locate his heater the night before, but they kind of bailed him out. He'd been erratic uh, very often over really this entire season. He's been wild. And so that was uh, that was a gift for Detroit. They, he gives up another single. They end up taking him out and they bring in Michael Fulmer who threw five pitches, all of them strikes, struck out Benintendi on three pitches to end the game. He was brilliant, and now it's going to be decision time for A.J. Hinch. Fulmer out of the pen this season. His numbers are really, really good. I know his current ERA is not reflective of how well he's actually pitched, but his whip is great. Coming out of the pen so far this season, a 2.57 ERA, a 0.93 whip, and 12.2 strikeouts per nine innings this year. Gregory Soto as a closer option is very appealing, and I understand why. He has far and away the best stuff of anyone in that pen. Fastball in the upper 90s came close to hitting 100 yesterday. Slider has improved, but the, his strike throwing is just not consistent enough, I feel like, to be a, a great a major league closer yet. I think he can get there. The appeal is there. The stuff is there, but AJ knows at this point that AJ did not get hired here to tank. AJ got hired here to win games. And I think that at this point, you got to make the decision that is best for the 2021 Tigers. It might not be what's best for the 2023 Tigers. It's about what's best for this team now. And the idea of Michael Fulmer as a closer, or maybe not as like an, an actual closer, but the guy you bring in to pitch in the highest leverage situations, 
uh, is very appealing because there's a lot of versatility there. Fulmer has started games. He started games this year. I know Soto has started in the past as well, but it's been a few years. The idea of Fulmer being a guy that you bring in in the eighth to get those final five outs, you bring in in the ninth to get those final three outs, given the way he's pitched, I think that's very appealing. He is he has been far and away the most consistent guy out of that pen this season. I liked how he's looked. And, you know, I, I, during rain delays, they show all these, like, inside the, the Tigers uh, videos, the, these uh, FSD, or I'm sorry, BSD, Bally Sports Detroit uh, news segments. And Johnny Kane did an interview with Michael Fulmer, and it's just hard not to like the guy. It's hard not to like the guy considering all he's been through here. And uh, I, I will say forever that I believe if you want to look at an example of how to not manage a young pitcher, how the Tigers handled Michael Fulmer in 2017 and 2018 was borderline criminal. And if I was him, and, and I, I try not to be this petty anymore, but I am, if I was him, I would feel a, a real resentment for how the organization has handled me. And yet he has gone about things as a complete professional. And it would be, you know what? It would be a really cool story if Michael Fulmer turned out to be a rock solid, like top 20 relief pitcher in all of baseball, considering what he's gone through. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, last year watching him in the small sample size, I said this guy doesn't have it anymore. He The stuff isn't good. The batted ball data, the pitch data is completely awful. He's not getting swings and misses. The fastball is down in velocity, though we expected that, but it looks really flat. And then this, and in spring training, he didn't look very good. And I think it's where A.J. Hinch and Fetter and the people in that dugout do have a pretty good eye for talent, because when Fulmer made the team out of spring training, I was surprised. He did not pitch well in spring, but I think they saw the potential in him in regards to what he can bring to this team as far as versatility, and he's given him that. Has he been great as a starter? Not at all, but as a reliever, he's been really, really solid, and I I can't blame him for not being great as a starter. He's had a ton of injuries. I, I didn't even realize how many injuries he'd had until I watched that piece that uh, that Johnny Kane did with him, so yeah, I, glad to see him turning it around. Hopefully, he can... Uh, he can fill a role here going forward. Maybe it will be the closer's role. I really hope. Tigers got some runs early on yesterday. Another nice game for Robbie Grossman. His OPS is up to 768, now the highest on the team. Miguel Cabrera with two more hits. He's now batting, I believe, over 500 over his last six games. That's a wonderful sign. They had 10 hits as a team. Everyone in the lineup got hits except for Akil Badu, Jamer Candelario, and Jonathan Scope. Tigers have won four in a row, and it leads me to something that I'm very happy to say, quite frankly, and that's that over the last week, this has looked more like a real baseball team. Do I believe that they're good? No, 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 no. I still think they're probably one of the five worst teams in baseball, though they are not in last place right now. The Minnesota Twins are. Do I believe that they have a snowball's chance in hell of making it to the postseason? No. They're 11 games under 500 really early in the season. That's bad. But I think that they have righted the ship to a certain extent. My hope is that we look back on those first 28 games and say, that was the worst baseball they played all year. Because, guys, it was ugly. There was a, a period of about two, almost three weeks where I watched some of the worst Tigers baseball I've ever seen. Some of the worst baseball, period, that I've ever seen. They weren't good defensively. They weren't running the bases well. They weren't pitching well. Some of the starting pitching was okay. Some of it was getting rocked. The bullpen was a complete dumpster fire. Now, has the schedule eased up 
a little bit? Is the schedule a bit easier? Yeah, I mean, the Twins and Royals uh, are easier opponents to go up against than the, the Red Sox or the Yankees or, you know, going on the road to, to face the White Sox in Chicago. That's fair, but even even before, that, this even precedes that, though, because I even feel felt like in the series against Boston, they looked a little bit more like a real baseball team, which was a, a nice sign to see. I hope this version of the team continues. I know they're not going to win four in a row. I know that they're not going to win five out of seven uh, every time they go out there, but respectable. Even the losses are relatively respectable. So it's a it's a mild step in the right direction, especially considering what we'd seen up to this point. I think there's some really smart people in that dugout. Uh, now, are there smart people in the front office and in ownership? Uh to be determined, obviously, my my answer would be a ninety percent no. But I think with Hinch and with Fetter and with the staff that he brought in, I do think that there are some good developments happening. Now, this is not me saying that this is a good team. Like I said, they're they're a really bad team. They're a poor team. They should be better than they are. But a big reason for that is because of ownership and management. That doesn't fall on the people in that dugout necessarily. So four in a row, five out of seven. Good work, guys. Uh, and now uh, they got the Cubs coming to town. And we're going to preview the first game in that series when we return. The improved Built Bar is even more deliciouser. 18 amazing flavors, 6 new flavors, 12 other original flavors. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. And Built Bars are healthy. Built Bar is great for the health-conscientious guy or girl. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Back for segment number three, the Tigers play a three-game set against the Northsiders tonight. The Chicago Cubs come to town with a record of 17-19. and 19. The Cubs man- managed by uh, Grandpa Ross, David Ross. I guess he's not a grandpa anymore. He's one of the youngest managers in baseball, only several years removed from his final season. Went out as a champion when he was a catcher for the Cubs in 2016. On the mound for Chicago tonight is Jake Arietta. He is 3 and 3 with a 4.31 ERA with 28 strikeouts on the season. This is his second stint with the Chicago Cubs. His first stint was incredible. A Cy Young winner in 2015, an All-Star in 2016, two no-hitters. This guy was must-watch TV for a calendar year. This guy was the best pitcher of all time, and that's not an exaggeration. He had an ERA almost under 1 with two no-hitters and a bunch of complete games. Here's what MLB.com has to say about him. The Cubs are expected to activate Arietta for the opener in Detroit. He dealt with a cut on his right thumb in his April 30th start, which was a really bad start. He gave up seven runs versus the Reds and went on the IL. Arietta had a 2.57 ERA in five starts before that game in Cincinnati. He's he's a shell of what he was when he was uh, throwing no hitters in Chicago in 2015. 2016. That's one of my favorite trades of all time. I talked about it. I, I believe I talked about it again yesterday when the Cubs were able to uh, acquire him and Pedro Strope in that deal. But his stuff isn't bad. The velocity is down, but he's still got a nice bite on the curveball. Still got a nice bite on the slider. He's 
an average pitcher. Now, where he was a couple years ago was well above average. It was elite. It was extraordinary. But his problem is he doesn't miss as many bats as he used to. When he was really rolling, he was getting a lot of swings and misses, getting a lot of weak contact, a lot of ground ball outs with that sinker. Uh, the numbers pretty much across the board in terms of the pitch data are down over the last several seasons, and I expect it to be that way probably again this year. But he's not incapable of pitching a good baseball. On the mound for the Tigers is Tarek Skubal, 0-5 with a 5-6-7 ERA and 26 strikeouts. Skubal struck out eight over five innings of two-run ball against the Twins last Friday, helped in part by turning turning away from the splitter he developed last winter in favor of a more traditional changeup. He has a 3.33 ERA across his six appearances at Comerica Park. This is going to be one of those rare times where I say ignore the record, ignore the ERA, I think Tarek Skubal is going to pitch well tonight because I thought his last start, while not perfect, only five innings, two earned runs, that's not amazing, was the best that his stuff has looked since he's pitched in a Tigers uniform, or at the very least, the best he's looked this season, probably the best he's looked since spring training. Very encouraging. Fastball velocity was back up. I didn't even know that he'd already ditched the splitter. And look, if he wants if he wants to use the splitter, go ahead. I thought it was a splitter that he was throwing in his last outing, so I apologize for that. Shows what I know. But in general, one of the pitches that, to me, last season for him looked like a pitch that had a lot of potential was his changeup. So the idea of, of saying, I'm going to switch to a lefty splitter was a little bit surprising, in my opinion, and, and a little bit unnecessary. But you know what? He's a young pitcher. He's making adjustments. Guys add and subtract pitches all the time. Didn't really bother me, but it seemed like he was not very comfortable throwing it at the major league level. Very encouraged uh, by his last outing. Just Because what, what really had me worried in his start that he had against the Yankees was that a uh, guy didn't look like a major league pitcher. I mean, the fastball velocity was down, and I- I'm going to maintain my theory that he had dead arm because the way the Tigers have managed him this year, it hasn't been bad. It's just been a little bit odd because he had two bad starts. Then they moved him to the pen, which surprised me because he was one of their best pitchers in spring training. And it made me think that they were just trying to get whatever they could out of him until his his dead arm kind of... Uh, was able to get some rest and and get back to full health. And uh, I think they maybe felt like it was back against the Yankees. It wasn't. Fastball looked really flat. He got completely popped. It seemed like it was back in his last outing against Minnesota. I think he pitches well tonight. I I, I actually do. I think he might may have turned a corner. He pitched some good baseball last time around. Now it's time to make lemonade. Let's see three, four solid starts in a row the way Mize has. Mize has had three straight uh, consecutive quality starts. Now going forward when Mize takes the mound, I I believe he's going to pitch well. I'm not there with Scooball yet, though I do kind of feel good about this matchup. The Cubs offense has had their struggles at points. This is not the same Cubs team that we've seen over the last several years. This is a, this is a team that I believe is close, or, or at least maybe attempting at this point now to be rebuilding. So uh, let's go out there. Let's get another win this evening. Sound good? Alright, yeah, that sounds good. So that'll do it for today's show. That'll do it for this week's worth of shows. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I 2014. You can follow the show on Twitter at Tigers. While you're at it, go to Apple podcast and leave a written positive five-star review of this program. It would be much, much appreciated. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I will be right back here on Monday, recapping some more games and talking about some more Tigers news. You guys are all the best. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Have a great rest of your day and go Tigers.